Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro. David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and we are at the interview part of the show. Uh, of course, joining me is uh, David North Martino. Hey, Alan. Hey, and how's Boston? Hey. Boston is good. It's like 60 degrees here, so it's like almost summer. Wow. You could put tea <laughs> out in the harbor and start. That's drinking. right. That's right. And let's do it. <laughs> I've heard something about tea in Boston, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> no idea. Uh, for the younger in the audience, we'll explain it one day. But uh, it's, <laughs> it's really not important. Kim Kardashian is far more important. That's absolutely uh, true. Yes. Um, now, uh, today we are um, continuing a uh, pen and sword um, uh, book um, extravaganza, I guess you yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got another great writer that's done a book. Uh, it came out uh, February of this year. No, so. it's actually not actually on hit. hasn't hit the shelves yet. Oh, okay. Well, excuse me, but it's not out yet. <laughs> it did say published in February. Any so day. <laughs> any day now. Um, so perhaps yes. it'll it'll be out soon. Uh, yes. We'll we'll try and keep everybody updated. So uh, now the book okay. we're talking about is the life and travels of Isabella Bird, and she's yes. a fearless Victorian adventurer. Yes. And the author is Jackie Hill Murphy, all the way from the UK. Thank you for taking the time to talk about your book today. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So, Jackie, how did you um, come across Isabella Bird? And, and what made you actually decide to cover her her journeys in a book? Ah, well, I'm, I actually started off um, 
as a bit of an explorer. It's a very strange word to use these days because one wonders if there's anywhere left in the world left to explore. But um, and um, because of some stories that I found and great interest, I began to recreate the journeys of some of the greatest women explorers. And I've traveled the length of the Amazon in the footsteps of Isabella Godin, 1769, and um, Mary Kingsley, Mount Cameroon, 1894. Now, Isabella Bird was an interesting one to follow. And I, in the end, I followed her journey through Ladakh in northern India, up through the mountains. Um, but what she did in her lifetime was extraordinary. And the more I read about her, the more I think, gosh, you know, I really, I really want to write about this woman as well. And so that's what I did. And um, yes, I mean, absolutely extraordinary life she led. Mm. Now, she did so many travels. Uh, she went so many places. Um, now, I, I get it. Uh, some of the younger listeners probably won't, but I understand how it, it wasn't real easy for a, um, a woman to travel and, and travel mm -hmm. on her own without a chaperone, right? That was considered pretty bad. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, First of all, you couldn't fly. <laughs> um, if she wanted, I mean, she crossed America so many times trying to get to Japan and, and, and that side of the world because she couldn't fly. And each time she crossed America, she would find more of the railroads developed. Um, opinions changed because, of course, she went before and after the American Civil War. So the first time she went was in 1854. And if you think about the impact on that now, I mean, she would be gone for two or three years at a time. I call that slow travel. We don't really do slow travel anymore, do we? No, no. Everything's quick and quick and fast. Everybody just wants yeah, to get there, yeah. you know. Yes. Um, so I've also written about other women whose journeys I've recreated because I feel that if I've done their journey, Often I see the same things. And, you know, I know we have the creep of globalization, but fortunately I've managed to see very similar things to they've seen. And I really feel that I understand them and, and understand a lot better about why they did it. And, and a lot of it was to do with what was going on in Victorian England. And as you said, most women were chaperoned. And I think in terms of Isabella Bird, I think that, that she was escaping from domestic servitude and a, and a and a life of that she didn't want to lead, of, of expectations for a woman that she didn't want to have, be constrained by. Mm. So do you, have you figured out exactly why she was traveling so much? Like what, what was in her mind? Like what, what was it about the travels that she did that made her do it? Like what, what was she trying to get out of this? Um. Well, first of all, she she documented everything she saw absolutely in great detail, and her books became great big sellers, bestsellers, and and there are eleven of them now. Um, but but more than that, when she was travelling, she was having adventures. Like she would always hire a horse and go off and to bear in an infested country or whatever. And she was she always had a lot of problems with her spine; was in terrible pain, but. When she was having an adventure, she felt better and she, it was all bearable to her. She also suffered from mental health problems as well, I mean, mostly depression. And that was also alleviated by travel. So, so there, was, there were multifaceted reasons for, for this. But 
um, she did have a huge thirst for adventure. It's pretty interesting. Um, do, so maybe maybe let's start out with her. Where did, where did she grow up? What was her young life like? Um, she grew up um, mostly in Yorkshire. Her father was a vicar, and he would take her out as a as a child. He would take her out on his horse on a cushion, and they would walk around the English countryside. And they he would point to things. He would say, "Explain this to me. And explain that." That's why she became such a good documenter of what she saw. Um, then when she was about 18, because she had this bad back, he, he gave her this money and he said, go to America with your cousins and Canada. And, and so she, her first place she ever went was Prince Edward Islands and around that area, Nova Scotia. And she was gone for quite a long time and she, she lost the cousins and she was on her own in, um, in, in parts of America where I don't think she should have been on her own. <laughs> you know, we know what it was like in the 1850s, don't we? You know, with, um, it was pretty lawless. So she was, you know, she was 18 and she was gaining a lot of experience then about traveling alone, I suppose, and people and observing them. But she did get herself in some scrapes. But mostly it was discomfort because there wasn't really anywhere to stay. Um, yeah. The hotels were always full and they were very substandard. And, you, you know, the, they weren't called tra trains, they were called cars, weren't they? So she, that's what your American railway are called, aren't they? Right, right. It's cars, right. yeah. So <laughs> she, she, refers, she refers to the cars. But um, so, for, for example, in, in Canada, in Western Canada, she smoked a peace pipe with Micmac Indians on one occasion. And, you know, not many British women were having adventures <laughs> like that, you know, in the 1850s, 1860s. And um, I'm glad she did, and I'm glad she wrote it all down. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to, to have all this knowledge about her now. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, trailblazer. What, so, what do you? How did the people respond to her at the time? Like when she was doing this originally, um, and writing and taking details of these trips she was taking, going to America yeah. and stuff like that. What was the response in in general to her back then? Well, she started in the eighteen fifties and she went on up until nineteen hundred. Um, in in America. Uh, they treated her quite well, and and I I think a few times she had nowhere to stay, and they would in, insist that she she had a room, and they would pitch somebody out so she could have a room, although it would be full of cockroaches or something. But when later on in her life, in the eighteen seventies and eighteen eighties, when she started to travel to Japan and China which she was fascinated by. There was never any, any talk of her going home, but she, she, they'd never seen a foreign woman before. And, I mean, she did resemble slightly the sort of regal lady. Sometimes she was a bit like Queen Victoria. She was only five foot, uh, four foot eleven. But even though she had this air about her, she was, um, she was, she was not tolerated because they wouldn't, they'd, they'd never seen a foreigner. And so... At times they just stared at her. At other times they threw stones at her and all sorts of things like that. It wasn't very nice. And and I have a, a lovely quote here that she's in a place called Uchijuki in 
around the Edo period in, in Japan. And a, she says, a thousand people shuffled along in clogs behind me. And it was like the clatter of a hailstorm because everybody wanted to stare at her because she was the first. Now, she was attacked a couple of times uh, when in China. Is that correct? Yeah, she was. She had, she had stones thrown at her, and um, at one point she was concussed. But she never turned around and went back. She just carried on, which is, which is I, I find that most extraordinary. If I felt that I was traveling and I was feeling a bit unwanted, <laughs> I think I'd want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Not our Isabella Birch. She would just... And you know, nobody spoke her language, and and she, at some places she went to. I mean, this isn't her trip on the Yangtze. Um, there was absolutely nowhere for her to stay because they wouldn't let her stay. So she would just sit on a chair in the middle of a of a road while everyone's staring. While somebody agreed to lend her a barn to sleep in or something. Wow. She was a brutal phenomena. I mean, you know, it was it was um, very sad for her. But but when she died at the age of, you know, in 1904, her bag was still, was packed to go back to China. So, you know, she still wanted to go back. And traveling was very uncomfortable for her in, in, um, in Persia as well. I mean, she had to go as part of an army on a horse and uh, that was the only way she could go. And, and it was very dangerous and there wasn't any food and people died all around her and she did lots of nursing and, um, there were no provisions and she did that she did it she did she you know her travel through iran and and iraq took about two months you know and in, in, in those conditions mm. and again they and haven't seen a woman like that no and of course um that that would be very unusual for them wouldn't it that would have been really um, how did she did she travel by herself completely at that time, or did she have companions no. or anything? No, she traveled by herself. Yeah. Wow. Wow. We, 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 yeah, and and in those days, um, you know, how <laughs> say you know, we could ring ahead and get a hotel. Yeah. The way that she had to do it was to have letters of introduction, and so when she arrived at a at a destination, for example, Hong Kong, where she arrived in 1878. During the Great Fire of 1878, it was raging as she arrived, but she had to rely on standing at the dock while someone took a letter to, and in that case it was the bishop, to say, Isabella Bird has arrived, she's standing at the dock. They'd go back and get her, and they would automatically have them stay. You know, it was all very touch and go. That was the way you did it. You did it through introduction. Um, wow. but, but, you know, normally it went, it went very well in you know, the governors had heard about her later on in her life, heard about her books. So, you know, Isabella Bird turns up at the, off a boat, you know, they're happy to have her, but it, it was a, it was a very insecure way of traveling. And in one, in one case, she arrived back in Seoul in the Koreas, because they weren't divided then. And she, uh, arrived back in Seoul to collect her traveling bags and, the governor met her at the boat and said, you've got to go straight away. The, the Japanese are invading now. And this was the, the um, uh, it was a, a, this Japanese war um, when they did, when they, I think it was the 1870s, it was again in the 1870s, early 1880s. 
And she had to leave then. She didn't have any money. She, she was going to, you know, kind of refresh her luggage and her money situation in Seoul. And she had to leave, and it, she had to leave with, with just the clothes she was standing up in, which was a tweed suit, take a boat somewhere. And she ended up in China again. And, they, and, and luckily, the governor's wife just took her and went and bought her clothes and looked after her. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's not an easy situation to be in. No. Um, yeah. How long did it take you to get the research for this book together? Um, I would I would imagine it takes quite a while. Yeah, it did. It, 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 it was it was massively hard. And I'm luckily I'm a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society and I use their library. And, and I traveled up to Edinburgh, where all her archives are in the National Library of Scotland. And and they actually got all her magic lantern slides when she began to take photographs and they've got um, all her letters. And some of her letters go up to 116 pages. And she mostly wrote to her sister and then her publisher when her sister died. But I cannot read her writing, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> that, was very, that was very sad. Uh, has to, it's a real expert to be able to read that kind of writing. It's like Queen Victoria's writing. No one can read Queen Victoria's writing. You know? <laughs> Special people decipher them. Um, yes, so I sort of handled all, all of them, the letters, and, and, and I, you know, lots of very helpful people. And, and I've also been to the Isle of Mull in Scotland and been to her, where she lived, her cottage where she wrote her books, and they've got a little museum there. Everybody's always very helpful. Um, but it, and it was fascinating, but I drew mostly on her books, uh, because she described her adventures in such detail, especially in Hawaii. Hawaii, she actually rode on horseback into the centre of the volcano, out of volcanoes, you know, Manolau and all those, and uh, and she crossed gulches, you know, river floods, dry riverbeds that flood, um, and and nearly died so many times. At one point, was lassoed out by a, a naked, naked, tattooed Hawaiian man. He, dragged her out um <laughs> and uh she um she was um she, she was asked to um do some cooking because the the king of of uh hawaii was, was was coming to where she was staying and she made a sherry a, a sherry trifle and and she put the sherry in from her luggage I, i'm not sure that anyone drank alcohol in those days and she slipped some sherry in from her her own personal <laughs> luggage and and then he wrote her poem so obviously the sherry went down very well with the king because then he came and the next day and delivered her a poem he'd written yeah so we should be getting travels like that now it's full of excitement it'd be lovely wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, nothing like a naked Hawaiian <laughs> having a cocktail with a naked Hawaiian, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, I know, why not? <laughs> I know, geez. <laughs> what what <laughs> a different place Hawaii is now. I mean, it was, it was, there was no, hardly any buildings on it at all in any of the islands when she was there. Hmm. So when, when she wrote um, about things like, let's say, Hawaii, or when she wrote about uh, you were mentioning the Civil War, so before and after. Did she get yeah. into the, um, I don't want to say politics, or the atmosphere of what was going on in the U.S., let's say, after the Civil War as compared to before? Like, should she get into that, or did she just talk about No, she, she didn't, doesn't comment too much, but she does 
find herself with slaves quite a lot. And, and sadly, I mean, she does pick up on racism. And I, I'm very sad about her because she was a very intelligent woman. But I think that you do naturally fall in with the language that's going on around you. Um, so sometimes she's very helpful to the slaves in becoming their friends. Other times she's complaining that she's, that she's, you know, got to come across them. You know, it's, it, it, that's, that's difficult, but she doesn't really talk about what was behind the politics behind the American Civil War now. Perhaps she didn't really understand because it was quite a long gap. It was 20 years between the first time and the second time she went. And it was, you know, all over by the time she went the second time. But there was more infrastructure for her. But you know that she had this affair with this, this, <laughs> this impecunious trapper in Estes Park in Colorado. <laughs> and I think that's the nearest she ever got to love, really. Is that Rocky Mountain Jim? Yes, that's okay. it. <laughs> I mean, you seem very colorful. Oh, he's terribly colorful. And I think she's <laughs> totally smitten by him. Although one side of his face would be kind of eaten by a bear, the other side was very handsome, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, because she found someone who was interested in her adventures at long last, and they would, they would just go off together. Through, they, they, he, he virtually dragged her up um, Long's Peak, one of the first women to ever climb Long's Peak, I think, in Estes Park. And um, they, just, they, they just have so much in common. But she was a, a, a Victorian woman who was, you know, had a certain standing in Victorian England and she had her books to sell and she couldn't possibly lose her reputation by staying there any longer or, or certainly not marrying him. And that's, that's a sign of, of the way that the women didn't feel free, you know, because you had to deal with a lot. She would have endured so much gossip or, you know, she'd have been much aligned if she had stayed with him and she went back to England and married a very um, proper doctor you know so we're much freer now aren't we we can make choices yeah, yeah well that's you know because um, in, in, in essence really if she, if she accepts a marriage to a man at that time you're kind of a possession then you're kind of under ownership in a way and you want to be owned by an impecunious, badly dressed trapper who's got a very bad, <laughs> with, with a bad alcoholic, and who used his gun freely. And he was, they, everybody was frightened of him because he had such a bad temper. They, you know, they thought he was going to be involved in shootouts in local town and everything. I mean, he had a terrible reputation. But what was quite sweet was when they separated. He, he, he was, you know, they were really upset because she was going to go back. And I, I think maybe she thought she might see him again because she did travel back across America within a few years to, to go back to Japan. But they, they promised each other that if one of them died, they would appear to the other, which happened because actually only a few months after she left, he, got, he did get shot, shot by an, an Irish rancher called Evans, uh, uh, because I think that he said the wrong thing and they had a bit of a shootout and while Jim got hit. And he did apparently appear to her in her hotel room in Switzerland. Wow. Um, And uh, there you go. So there was a little bond there going on, wasn't there? 
Yeah, something going on there. There was something going on, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what what actually made her decide to marry the proper doctor later? Like, what, what, what actually... Um, well, she, she, um, she was, her, her sister died and she already had a tendency to depression and the doctor had been, he had been proposing to her for years and she was said, no, he basically didn't fancy him, you know, just basically, but, but he was the right sort of person to help her. And also when her sister died, she sunk into very deep depression. Now in, in England, in those days, there was only one place for you if you suffer from any kind of mental illness like that, and that was an asylum. And I think that she was very frightened of ending up in an asylum. And maybe marrying the doctor helped her from that fate. Um, you know, I don't know if you if you know about you know the Mental Health Act, but but certain certainly a lot of women ended up in asylums and. and nobody talked about depression in those days nobody talked about mental health did they it was all swept under the carpet and yeah, um, yeah. It, it was very sad yeah yeah, yeah. You know, they would just hide you away yeah 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 totally and and i think that she so when she went away again after he died she was gone for over three years on the next trip because when she was away she didn't have to have those worries and she also was respected and she also didn't have to worry about gossip. She didn't have to worry about anything. She was, and she had money. And so on that, on that trip that she was gone for three years, she set up four hospitals in the name of her sister and her husband, Dr. Bishop, his name was. Um, that gave her another purpose. And she went through incredible deprivations, as I've already said, you know, because, um, because she loved it and it was just she was feeling free it was liberty for her when when you were writing and going through the research for the yeah. book um yeah. i i'd imagine that um so you kind of knew something about her but when you were uh, researching more was there something you found out that really surprised you yes there was a few things that surprised me i was really really surprised to hear that i, I, I don't know if you ever heard of the highland clearances in scotland mm. where the, the very the probably most hated person in england lady gordon cathcart was the third person to inherit these islands after her husband and his father and they cleared all the, the crofters because they didn't want them there. They just basically didn't want them there. And people that have been there for hundreds of years was their home, these crofters. And um, it even came up in Parliament that this woman, you know, had to be stopped somehow. And I, I think in the end, the, the government actually bought islands to stop them doing it. But it appeared that, it appeared, sadly, that Isabella Bird was helping her, was helping her in in getting them to, to Canada, where they were put on boats, forcibly put on boats and sent to Canada. And, and you know, it, some, some thrived and for others, it was awful. You know, they, they didn't know what to do when they got there. So I was very shocked by that. I was also very interested to find out that while in that very small island in Hawaii, I can't remember the name of it, it's a very small one, um, that she bumped into a lady uh, who went riding with her, an old, old lady, who, 
And I found out that was Elizabeth Sinclair. And Elizabeth Sinclair's family still own this very tiny island in Hawaii. It's the island where no one's allowed onto it. But have you heard of that? Have you? Oh, I haven't, but I, I, I haven't. I, I've never done Hawaii. Yet. No, I haven't. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a very small island where it's completely off limits. But what happened was Elizabeth Sinclair um, was a widow and a Scottish widow and her husband. Her Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. I'd gone to Australia, had big family. Husband had died in a shipwreck with all their with all their money they'd made. And she wanted to keep this family together. So with the money they had left, they they put they put it all in into this, this schooner, and the whole family and all their cattle and everything went off around the world looking for somewhere to call home. And I was very, very interested, and I realised that the person she was describing was Elizabeth Sinclair. So, so this big schooner arrived in the harbour in, in Hawaii with um, all these, this, you know, the, her children and their, their husbands and wives and their children. They had stayed for a while. Then they'd gone to, I think they'd gone to Vancouver, and then they didn't like it, so they went back to Hawaii, bought this island, settled there, and the descendants of the family are still there. I thought that was really interesting to find out that that's who that was and to find all that provenance and to get the backstory on that. And there are oh. other things as well like that that you stumble upon, don't you? You make, um, you make there are little synchronicities and you find something out and then you find something else out because of that. It's very interesting. Um, so when you pick up the book on Isabella Bird here that you've written, um, what do you hope that they take away from it? I think that they're going to take away an immense amount of knowledge about the world in 120 years ago. 
and around that time. And it's got a bit of a wow factor because the it, how you know how our cultures have, have have evolved and changed, and it's really nice to see what the world was like then. And also what one woman did, you know, at her, she was a, a pocket rocket explorer, you know, <laughs> that, that she could get out there and do spend her whole life, her whole life on the move like that. She writing about her made me feel very restless actually. And um, particularly now when we're all in lockdown, yeah. even more restless. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, that's good. I mean, she was hardly ever in one place. When she was in England, she was staying with one friend, then to another, and then she would get herself a home, and she would say, no, I won't stay there for very long. My goodness. So I think it's it's good for people to see about, you know, great individuals, read about great individuals and a great woman, and people who were, you know, forerunners. For, she, she was... Um, uh, you know, ahead of her time as a traveller, as an explorer, as a writer, as a documenter of culture. I so think that's what they get out of it. Was that kind of the primary focus of what she was writing about? Like w when she was writing these stories, um, yeah. what, what do you think she was trying to get across to people that would read her books? Well, first of all, a lot of the books are written from letters to her sister and she doesn't hold back on detail and I think that it's it's the way she writes is that you feel you're getting the action it's very clever so she's not going back afterwards and writing the book she's just editing letter to, letters so when she wrote 116 pages about going into the Manalao volcano on um, Hawaii it was Honolulu one whichever island um, you're there with her. You know, it's it's dead exciting. I mean, you, you can feel the heat and you can smell the dust and you can you can feel it in your throat, really. And on this horse and, and it's stumbling and she's hanging onto its neck and, wow, you're just thinking, is she going to survive? <laughs> <laughs> where, where do you think that came from for her? Like, you know, you, you're studying, studying her and stuff and going through her, her past. What do you think happened in her in her younger life that made her want to go um, traveling and writing and and doing all of this adventure? What what was it? Do you, it was it did it come from her father, from her upbringing, or did it come from her mother? Like where do you, where did it come from? I don't think so. I think it came from her father taking her walking around on this on the horse and and also giving her the money to go abroad at eighteen. And also, because she had such a bad spine, I mean, she had, she called it spinal contraction. I, 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 I suspect she probably had some sort of an accident that fused to the spine quite early on. I mean, I have no evidence, so I cannot, I cannot say for sure, but it seems to me there might have been some sort of accident. But when she was abroad, she felt better. And I, and it's very much like nowadays, isn't it? I mean, we say that being outdoors and being out in nature improves your well-being, doesn't it? Right. And there's a big movement about that in England at the moment, about nature connectedness and being outside and appreciating nature and being pro-nature. And, and, and that was an element, I think, for her because she was always in so much pain. 
And they did operations on her back, but it was never any good. I mean, she was always in pain. And, and the descriptions of her traveling through Japan on, like, you know, having to sit on top of a pack pony, on top of all the packs, you know, and being in excruciating pain. And sometimes she couldn't mount or get off because of the pain. But it just seems like when the adrenaline was running and she was, she was just seeing great views and, and, and just going through this adversity, it made her feel better sense of well-being yeah maybe maybe at home too maybe she had a certain amount of stress at, at sitting in one place as well yes and some, yes. sometimes when I, you get out and get away it kind of takes your mind hmm. off of your stress i uh, that's how i relate to it that's one of yeah. my favorite things yeah. about traveling right so is it i wonder yeah oh yeah because i mean uh it sort of it puts your mind in a different place. It has to because you you're moving. You're somewhere different. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. And and even though it's uncomfortable and there's fleas and mosquitoes and she nearly drowned. I don't know how many times shipwrecked and it did take her mind off it. Yes, it took her mind right. off the pain and 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 the thought of going back to England, which was always you know filled with horror it was stifling you know if, if you were if you were a spinster you know it was it was not a good place to be at the time yeah yeah i am a spinster and i wouldn't want to be there so. <laughs> 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 it would it would be terrible um <laughs> wow so, so it, you know how long did she end up living then how when did she die what was her age and she what did she seven. die of um she was 74 when she died, and um, she just managed one last trip to Morocco, and she rode 2,000 miles. Wow. <laughs> and then she went back, and then they said, you know, she really, really had to stop then. The, the Yangtze River was her last main trip that she wrote about. Um and that was on the trip when she was knocked out by a stone thrown at her near Puang Fu. Um, and then later she was hit with sticks. So, you know, she was in her late 60s when she was getting hit. Wow. Um, yeah. And then at one point she was at Mukden and she in, in China and she was being pulled on a cart because she felt so unwell. unwell. The cart toppled over and she broke her arm while people were praying all around her and telling her to go away and calling her a foreign dog and things like that. So, wow, that's not a nice moment for somebody, is it? To already be ill and then to break your arm and finally have your camera equipment dumped on top of you. Luckily, I think that there were some local missionaries that helped her and they brought her back to life. Well, that's a and fairly when, long life for back then as well, I, like, considering was, how much she traveled. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a long life. Seventy-four was a good age, really. Yes. Yeah. Um, she died in um, Edinburgh. <laughs> she was, she couldn't hold a pen. She couldn't. She but she was still in her head. She was like, you know, when she was she was going back somewhere. She was going back to China in her head. She never stopped believing that she wouldn't go again anywhere again. Yeah, I, I'd imagine that. Was, that sounds like she had a pretty uh, full and busy life out of all of it. Um, Very. How long? How long did she stay married to the doctor? Well, he I'm, sadly he only died. He only lived for five years. Sadly. Oh. Um, yeah. He and then 
And then she nursed him to his death because I think he got something like septicemia through the operation he gave to a sailor who had an open wound. And um, and he just deteriorated over five years. But she wouldn't let the poor man stay in one place. She just moved him all over the place. Oh, it'd be better for you if we're in London. Oh, it'd be better for you if we're in the south coast of England. No, it'd be much better if we went to Switzerland. <laughs> he was just all around, you know. And uh, they gave up their their house. He bought her, her a nice little house in, in Edinburgh. And she, no, no, we'll, we'll get rid of that. We'll sell it. So um, that was, yeah, that was pretty sad. But, I mean, she she was very attached to him, but I'm not sure if, it, you know, it was a big love marriage, but she was very attached to him and obviously very upset when he died. And she is buried with him. In, yeah. In oh, she is, eh? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. How was her family about her traveling? How were her? How was her dad and mum about all this? Well, the fact that they'd given her the equivalent of £10,000. They gave her £100, which is the equivalent of £10,000 now. And um, in 1854, when she did that first trip to America, I, I often wonder, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you things which are not, in, these are only my own ideas, but I just, because my sister never got that money, I just wonder whether or not she'd had an accident. That's why she had the spinal contraction. Maybe she fell off the horse or something, and why they they gave her that money. You know, I, I've, I've got no idea why her sister Henrietta never had it. Um, and she spent £90 of that £100, and she went the first time. Um, but she'd had a very interesting life. Her, her mother educated her and her sister, Henrietta, and her mother was a very good teacher, and, and she was kind of like an experiential teacher. She would, they would go out and see things and do things, and, and I think that was, really, that was really a good education for them. Whereas the other explorer, Mary Kingsley, at the same time, was denied an education because she was a, a girl which was pretty sad. And, but she just, her father taught her to read and write and that was about it really. Yeah, yeah. So Isabella Bird did get a decent education and it was a very loving family. And uh, yeah, so then she went, went off at 18 and whichever these cousins, I say, who, were, who obviously were migrants in Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Islands. And from there she went on into America. So how did how did this um, book change you? Like after you get all through it, and now you've got it done, um, how has it changed you? Has it changed me? Well, I have great admiration for her. <laughs> I am actually um, in the th throes of um, waiting to be accepted to do a PhD purely because I've done so much research on women explorers. And I've realized so much that I think that it, in England, you can do something by Called PhD by by publication. I don't know if you can do the same in America or Canada. And because um, I've done the research over five years and written two hundred fifty thousand words about women for explorers. Um, because a lot in, in in Britain, you know, a lot of the men explorers who were who were really much more, you know, they're quite arrogant about the women explorers and and the women sort of didn't really get a look in, but they were out there sort of seeking um, new empires, you know, looking for new colonies to, to latch onto our empire and things like that, which is, you know, uh, 
not quite the same as people like Kingsley and Marston and Isabella Bird who were out there writing about culture. And I just feel that that is such a valuable contribution they've made to to, to our heritage of of history of the world that it's worth me pursuing it a bit further. Hmm. Yeah, I think. Um, so were there a lot of travelers like like Isabella Bird, uh, female explorers, so to it's speak? Certainly Mary Kingsley, yes. She traveled on her own. There were a few who traveled on their own. Um, and Kate Marsden, she crossed Siberia, whose journey I've also, I've also done in her footsteps. So um, Mary Kingsley died very young. She was only 38. She died in nursing in the Boer War. But she traveled in um, West Africa. And she climbed Mount Cameroon and she got right to the top. Not even her guides and porters made it to the top. And, and of course, these women are so inappropriately dressed. You know, they're wearing corsets and long dresses. <laughs> they're, not, they're not making, you know, they're not, they're, they wouldn't dare wear a pair of trousers, really. You know, it, was, it would just be so awful for them. Well, that's how and it was. Is about, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, go on. I was just saying that's how Isabella climbed mountains too, I believe. Yes. That's, I think that's why, why, why um, Jim had to kind of virtually carry her down because she was so inappropriately dressed. Yes. <laughs> um, there are pictures, aren't there, of, of women climbing mountains in long skirts. And, of course, you have your own over there in Canada in Banff area. You have a lovely little posse of women who were the first climbers in, does Mary Warner Schaefer mean anything to you? Not to me, no. no. Oh, okay. But but, but the, they were the first women who were climbing the mountains around the Banff region, and that was um, – they were pretty amazing. And, and they were – I think they wrote the first book of Flora and Fauna of the area as well. Mary Schaefer, uh, interesting lady. Um, but, again, they're all well, – they're all wearing dresses. They're wearing long skirts. And Mary Kingsley said, um, well, if it's not good enough for Oxford Street in London, it's not good enough for a mountain. <laughs> yeah. Well, so why was that? It was just about the appropriate way to dress? Is... Yeah, it was the, you know, it, they just, I think, I think if, if, you, if you deviated from the norm too much, too much, you'd get labelled, basically. I mean, it was it was all right to to be totally unique and go off and travel the world, and to um, you know go and board a ship on your own. But to begin to dress and to you know the fact that Kate Marston and Isabella Bird rode astride and not side saddle that was you know that was quite a, a that was I'm raised eyebrows that did but it, it but they probably you know couldn't have done what they did if they did didn't ride astride but as you probably know if you if you rode astride a woman was considered to um not be able to have children it's like riding a bike when the bike came in the 1890s they they thought the women couldn't have children by riding a bike but but those things were liberating for women because of course riding a bike for a woman and being able meant that she had to raise her hems of her skirt and perhaps wear something culotte like 
meant that clothes never changed. You know, Hems never went down to the ground again after women were allowed to ride bikes in the 1890s. And they were, they could cycle a bit further away than they could walk. So that was liberating too. So that's when it all started going to hell. <laughs> Definitely, yes. Next, they're going to want to vote. Some, there was a, there's a restaurant in in London. It was called Dorothy's, and it was in Oxford Street, and and it was for women only. And oh my goodness, it caused a sensation when it opened because men just wanted to know what this place was that they were not allowed into and you know, Punch used to publish rude cartoons and all sorts of things. And, it, and if a woman could go in there, she could use the public convenience, which, of course, they couldn't do before because they weren't allowed to. There weren't any for women. And it was rather shocking, but it was a form of control because it meant women had to go home to, to be able to relieve themselves. <laughs> so when Dorothy's Tea Room, or what it was called, in opened in Oxford Street, it was like, and it was very exotic and had sort of peacock feathers and fabrics from India adorning the, the windows. Um, it, it was great fascination, but there was that was where conversation happened, and that's where you know the, maybe the suffragettes were born, in, perhaps in that restaurant and through conversation, clothes began to change. You know, people like Oscar Wilde's wife, Florence, is it called, is she called Florence Wilde? Um, she, which she used to go. And um, and clothes began to become a little bit more racy at the time. Yeah. A bit mm. like it is, really. You know, yeah, beginning of the year. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, you know, it all fell apart. No, 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 it's <laughs> better. <laughs> Not better for women. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Um, so, so what's next now for you? Are you you're just gonna you're gonna go for your doctorate? Or are you gonna do? Any uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Well, I um, I, I'm thinking who I'm gonna. I, I've written. This is my third book, and I have been asked if I'd like to write another one. I haven't quite decided yet, but I I think actually I'd quite like to write write about Lady Isabel Burton. Because, you know, Richard Burton gave her a really hard time. (laughs) (laughs) He was, he was um, a rather despicable fellow, actually. So uh, that would be very interesting to find out more about her. But I am looking forward to going and traveling again. And I, um, I have begun to, I've already done a recce into Calabar in eastern Nigeria, in the footsteps of um, Mary Slessor, the Scottish missionary who went to stop infanticide amongst the tribal people in Calabar in the 1880s. I want to find descendants and stories because she saved lot 51 babies from being killed. And so that's, she's a, she's a great woman as well. Did yeah. Isabella Bird have any um, descendants that have carried on or? Not really, no. She no. didn't have any children. She hey? didn't have any- no, neither did our sister, no. No, neither did Dr. Bishop. No, it's quite sad, isn't it? That's why I think that's why all her money went into these hospitals she founded abroad. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. That happened, to, that, that happened a lot, you know, that um, they didn't... Well, they were spinsters. How could they have children, you know? Well, 
I guess you don't use it, you lose it. I don't know. I just... Well, there you go. That's what life is like for me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh. it, it was it was not um, a life of, um, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll then, you know. Yeah, it was before that. It was <laughs> just a little. <laughs> just a little. So now, now, do you have a website yourself that you like people yes, to go and, and find yeah. you? Yeah. So it's yeah. Jackie and Little it, Dash Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, just just put that in and you'll you'll get me. Uh, and um, and then uh, the book is available in America as well, isn't it? Yes. Um, well, but uh, so, when 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 is the actual launch date? Then, if it's not, um, well, I, I haven't really been told, but I have I have been told the book's been printed. So <laughs> it's, it's so on its way. It's on its way. It's on its way. You just interviewed my. My friend, haven't you, Rosemary Brown? And we're in the same situation. Yeah, a couple of days ago, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's, it's it's all good. Um, it, it, so, um, but we'll put your website up so people listening Thank you can so much. find you yes. one click. And it's great to talk to you guys. It really yeah, is. That's, that's what we do. We like yes. to talk to writers. We we. I, find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.